This week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast Sermon will be given by Chaplain Jack Stummy. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy that you pour out on us. And this morning, we come to worship you. Pray that you'd quiet our hearts, stir our hearts. We just want to receive from you. We want to give you the glory that you deserve. And we ask that your presence would move powerfully in our midst this morning. And we pray it solely for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you say hey to someone around you? It's good to be here with you this morning. My name is Jack Stemme. I used to work at the 18th Airborne Corps, but now I am overstrength, overstrength chaplain position here at Fort Bragg. And we're, Cindy and I, who is over there, we are getting ready to move to uh, a new location, Stuttgart, Germany. And so uh, this, this chapel is near and dear to us, as well as you people are very near and dear to us. So it is good to be here with you this morning. Brian, where's Brian? Brian, Brian, there you are, way back there, got you. Hey, you are very blessed to have Brian Coyne as the new 82nd uh, Division Chaplain. Brian is a very smart individual. He has a lot of great experience behind him. And uh, it's just going to be super to have you, Brian, and Tracy, your whole family here. In fact, uh, Brian, you came from Hawaii, right? Yeah? And uh, Brian is a strategic thinker, operational thinker. He's a very smart guy. And when he was at Hawaii, there was a problem with squirrels in the chapels there. They had overrun some chapels. And um, one of the chapels had gotten together and tried to figure out how they could get rid of the squirrels. You know, there's always, where's Randy Griffin? Is he here? Amy's here. There, yeah, there's no money in the garrison, is there? So you've got to figure out how to do it yourself. And so the, uh, the parish council of the first chapel got together, and they're going, how are we going to get rid of these squirrels? But they, they determined that the squirrels were predestined to be there. were predestined to be there. And so uh, they just let the, the, who were they to interfere? And the squirrels just ran amok. The second chapel, uh, the parish council got together and they prayed about it and they just said, we can't hurt God's creatures. So they humanely trapped them, moved them outside of the post, outside of town as far away as they could, thinking that now we'll be clear of all the squirrels, but it was three days later all the squirrels came back. But it was Brian who got the parish council together at the third chapel. They prayed and they came up with a novel idea. It was this. They baptized the squirrels, registered them as giving members of the chapel, and now they only see the squirrels at Easter and Christmas. So I know he'll do a good job here at the All-American Chapel and the 82nd Chapel. Hey, the question is in your bulletin is, are you thriving? Are you thriving? A, a great show came out a long time ago, I think it was 1999, called Survivor. Anybody ever see it? I've never seen it. So I, I can't speak about it. You, you've seen it, maybe you can tell us about it later on, okay? But I've never seen it except for one episode. It was the last episode of the first year, and I was so disappointed because it was just, a, it, 
I don't think it was really that much about surviving. It was more like a soap opera of people on an island or wherever they were, you know, how they got along or didn't get along. My, my thoughts of surviving was like a bag of rice, a mirror, a compass, and you have to go through the desert and we see if you make it through to the other side. That's what I thought it was going to be about. Have you ever thought about what it means to thrive or survive? You know, what, what do we say? Uh, the, great, the great philosopher said, work into the weekend, you know, the musician, philosopher, said everybody's working for the weekend, just trying to get by, get through to Friday so that you can go out and do what it is that you want to do, right? Uh, we talk about surviving deployment. Anybody ever say, man, I'm going to thrive on deployment. Just put me down range. I'm going to thrive. Yeah, not too many people talk that way. It's just like, we just got to survive. You know, we make little tick marks on the wall, or we have those, uh, those Excel spreadsheets, and we do the countdowns of days, you know, until we get to go home, and we're constantly bothering our supervisor. Hey, when is the, when's the flight? Is the flight there? You know, is my, is my plane back home? Is, we, we do all these things, and we think about surviving. It just sort of puts us at that level. We just want to survive, you know. You have a bad supervisor in the military. What do you do? You say, I can survive this person because what? one or two years, they're going to PCS or I'm going to PCS. Praise the Lord, right? And you're going to make it. You're going to get through. How many times do we ever say, I want to thrive? I can thrive with a bad supervisor. I can thrive on deployment. I can thrive as I exit the air, aircraft in mid-flight. I can thrive anytime, place, anywhere. How many times do we ever think that way? Rarely do we, don't we? I want to encourage you today that you and I can thrive. We can thrive as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, thriving does not mean that you've picked the right stock or that you're going to get rich or you've got all the money that you need or all the money that you want. Really, thriving comes from what God does inside of us. Inside of you and you and you and me. That's where thriving starts. That's where thriving happens. It is everything, it does not mean everything is perfect, but thriving is obedience and knowing that no matter what is happening, that you and I are where God wants us to be. That, that is thriving. In Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, the background of the scripture is that the, the uh, people of Judah see the Babylonians coming. And the Babylonians are not nice people. They're very, very mean people. They'll make your day, your week, your month. They'll make everything about you really bad and sad. And they don't know what to do. Now, the Lord God has said many times to his people, what? If you'll trust in me, I will take care of you. You can thrive. You can move forward. You can do all the things, and I promise you these things will happen, and he has proven it over and over and over again. But what are the people of Judah during, the, doing, during this time? You're absolutely right. They're looking to the Egyptians for their help. And Jeremiah is pointing out to them, if you want to get through this mess, it's not Egypt that's going to help you get through it. It's not any other country or any other situation. It's going to be you trusting in the Lord. How many times do we, 
As a way of introduction here, how many times do you and I go through challenging times, trying times, and our first place is someplace other than the Lord God to help us survive? And if we're that much further ahead, maybe in our Christian walk, and we think about it, to ask us to even thrive during those times. Jeremiah is reminding these people about two things that have to do with thriving in their walk with God. And I want us to look at those just for the few moments we have together this morning. Very simply this, if you'll read verse 7 with me once again. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. What do you, what, you just read that with me, or you just heard me say it. What do you think the first thing is that you and I need to do if we're going to thrive in our walk with God in our lives? What is it? Just one at a time now. Just one of you at a time, okay? Please, not all of you at once. <laughs> Trust God. It's very simple, right? I heard it once. Somebody over here whispered it, and somebody over here did. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's about trusting, trusting God. The word means to be secure or have confidence. Trusting is an active, personal decision that you and I take to give ourselves to God. Now, I'm going to break you up in small groups. No, I'm not going to do that. I just want to see if you're awake. All right? Yo, whoa, am I, am I in training right now? Who are some people in the Bible that are examples of trusting God? Say, say, you got to just go ahead and say it loud. I mean, I'm already talking really loud. I'm obnoxious. Just join with me. What's that? The apostles. They trusted God. Very good. Absolutely. Definitely after Christ rose again, they trusted him wholeheartedly. They were sort of wishy-washy, you know, a little bit, a little flip and flop before that, right? But after that, to the death, they went there. Who else? Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, the first recorded PCS known to man. Here's your, here's your RFO. I want you to go to, from Ur of the Chaldees to Canaan, and you got TDY en route to Haran. Once you finish the training there, move on out to Canaan. And Sarah, I mean, she had to pack it all up. I don't even think they had movers back then. I think everything was a ditty move at that time, right? And no pods. It was just camels that they used. Who else? Gideon. Gideon, another one. He was a little shaky at first, you know, the whole sheepskin thing and all that. But, you know, when it came down to it, 300 pots. Lights, Midianites, they won, right? He did it. Who else? Anybody else you can think of? I heard Daniel, and I heard some of you over here say, that was very good, thank you. But we're going to end with Daniel, because you guys all want to eat lunch sooner or later here. But Daniel, exactly. I think Daniel is one of the best examples of trusting God. Because he's on the recipient of the, of the, of the Babylonians coming and destroying Jerusalem overtaking Jerusalem and being taken back to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar being the king at the time. And Daniel went through, if you ever, if you ever want to read a good book, read Daniel, good book of the Bible. If you ever want to learn about trust, read Daniel. If you ever want to learn about faith, read, if you ever want to learn about thriving, 
when your situation is not that good. Read Daniel. His parents were probably killed when he was taken. They're never mentioned in the Bible. I'm inferring something here, but I think it's a pretty logical. We could probably argue it pretty well, not to 100%, but there's most likely his parents were killed because he was a young guy when he was taken, and so he would have been taken to Babylon to basically be reprogrammed, brainwashed, and used by Nebuchadnezzar. He was given a new name, wasn't he, when he got there? All those things. He was probably, I think he was made a eunuch, if you're made a eunuch, guys, it's not a good thing. It's, it's castration many times, what that means. And I, again, can't say that for sure, but most likely working near the king, working near the king's family, those kinds of things, that would have been one of the precautions they would have taken to make sure that all those people weren't messing with the king's family. So he loses his family, he loses his homeland, he loses his manhood, and then when he gets there, he's told to eat the king's meat. But he refuses. Now, this would have been the choice food. He, the, the, Nebuchadnezzar would not have fed these people, you know, anything but the, the most choice. And what does Daniel say? Not going to do it. Why? Because the meat's offered to idols. It's basically a visible indoctrination, acceptance of what Nebuchadnezzar wants. And Daniel says, I'm not going to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego join in with him we, at that point. And he says, I'm not going to do it. And they give him, what, 10 days, I think it was, and he eats, eats salad, basically, chef salad without uh, boiled eggs and all that, and bacon and all that kind of stuff on it. He just eats salad and water. And he says, after 10 days, if we don't look good... I'll, I'll start, I'll, I'll do what you say, but if not, and what happens? He looks great. They look super. And so they're allowed to continue on their diet. What is Daniel doing this whole time? He is trusting God. He does that. He goes through all this. He is, he's made one of the leaders amongst all the other wise men. And all of a sudden, the king has a dream. The wise men can't figure out what the dream is, let alone the meaning of the dream. And the king's like, I want quality control. I want to make sure you're not just feeding me a line until you tell me the dream and then tell me the meaning. And they can't do it. Their king's ready to execute them, ready to fire them. And they go, wait a minute, there's one more guy. And they go find Daniel. And Daniel says, just give me a minute. He prays. He comes back. He tells the king the dream and he tells them the meaning of the dream. Daniel saves not only his own life, but he saves the life of all the other pagans around him. He does all of that. What is he doing the whole time? He is trusting God the entire time. Later on, and we don't know if it's the same guys, probably not. There's people that have come and gone. Daniel's, the book of Daniel covers many, many years but the guys go up to king, uh, the king at the time, and they say, hey, king, live forever. king likes that. And he says, hey, you know what, king, we've got this great idea. We think everybody ought to pray to you for 30 days. Hey, that's a super idea, guys. I like it. Make it so. Laws and the Medes and the Persians puts his stamp on it. It happens. And what is Daniel doing at, during this time? Because nobody else can pray to anybody but the king. What is Daniel doing? Not a trick question. What's he doing? He's still praying to God. He's still opening up his windows. He's looking toward Jerusalem. He's still praying the entire time. 
And you know, if it would have been me, I'd have said, you know what, for 30 days, I think I can shut the windows and do the prayer. When I'm at my meal, maybe I can just sort of like drop my napkin, Lord, thank you for this food, Jesus' name, amen, and keep eating. But he doesn't do that. He prays in the open as he has always done. He is trusting God. And what does that get him? A one-way ticket to the lion's den, doesn't it? And he's thrown in the lion's den. The king is distraught because he knows he's made a mistake. He's been bamboozled. Daniel's in the lion's den. He's there overnight. The next day it says the king who could not sleep ran to the location of the lion's den and called out, Oh, Daniel, does the God whom you serve, is he able? Is he able to save you from the mouths of the lions? And what does Daniel say? You jerk, I'm going to get you if I get out of here. I've been running all night from these lions, and if I can make it out of here, I got nothing to... No, what does he say? O king, live forever. Daniel, in everything that he did, how did he make it? He trusted God. If there's anybody who, who had a reason not to trust God, who had a reason to be bitter and angry, a man who lost his homeland, lost his family, lost his manhood, lost his position, and when he got position, he's constantly hounded. There's fake news everywhere. All the media outlets are against him every time he turns around. If there's a guy who had any reason not to trust God, it was Daniel. Yet he trusts God. And what is it that we see about Daniel? He thrives everywhere, every time. You see, he wasn't distracted by Babylon. He wasn't distracted by the opportunities. Man, if I just do this, just check these blocks, I can make it somewhere. I can be one of the high dudes in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. I can go places. And then I'll do great things for God and my people. No, he wasn't distracted by any of that. He trusted God. He was faithful all the time. Sometimes we can be distracted by things within us, can't we? From trusting God. In our minds, we can say, well... Wow, if we do that, we'd lose to follow God. If I say too much about my faith, well, that might cause trouble for me. That might cause trouble for my career. It might cause trouble for my advancement. It might cause trouble for my neighbors, with my neighbors or my friends. It might cause trouble with my family. We can be distracted by emotions and fear that God would ask us to do something. I don't know if I want to do that. That's sort of scary. I'm a little fearful of trusting God in that area. Lord, you can have these things over here, but you know what? This thing over here, I'm going to handle this a little bit longer in my life, and then we'll see how it goes. We can be distracted by our will that says just plainly, I want what I want. You know what, God? There's some things that I'm just going to keep. Those are my things. We can be distracted by things that are outside of us. Career, money, position, power, education, all those things. Man, if I had those things, I could thrive. I could be the kind of person that I want to be, that I'd like to be. I'm not saying education, money, position, career, power, those things are worthless. But you can't trust them to be the reason why you and I thrive 
You can't trust them to bring fulfillment, true, lasting, solid stuff you can stand on fulfillment. The only thing is trusting in Jesus Christ, in God. It's interesting here, Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, or blessed is the person whose trust is in the Lord. I'm like, why did you say that twice? I mean, was it once enough? Were we not listening the first time? Maybe, maybe you just wanted to emphasize, re-emphasize it. I, I, I'm not really sure uh, when I first read it, but what I've come to realize is I think God was trying to give us a different, trying to teach us a different aspect of trust. There's not just the trust in His words, but the trust in who He is as our God. What's His name? What did Moses? Moses said, "Hey, you in the burning bush, what's your name? Who do I tell people? Set me." And what does the what does the voice in the burning bush tell him? My name is I. My name is I. That I am. The I am. You break all that down in Greek, and all my chaplain friends here will love this. They'll start to tangle. Ooh, we're talking about Greek. Ego and me. Jesus said that in John eight fifty eight. That's why they wanted to stone him. Because he was saying, I am the person who was in the burning bush with Moses. That was me back there talking to him. At go of me, I am that I am. No good Jew would have ever said that. And not known that they were going to have trouble. Jeremiah is telling us right here that not only are the promises of God true, worth trusting, but the person of God is worth trusting trusting. See, I can make you promises, but you go, well, do you have the power to fulfill the promises? I can say, we're going to do this and this and this, but you know what? I've got to have the authority behind me in order to make sure those promises come true, don't I? Dad, you know what I'm talking about. Kids in the car, hey, can we go do X, Y, and Z? And you're like, sure, I'd love to, but the circumstances of life might just change your timeline. And then they say, well, but you promised. Yeah, but you and I both know there's only so much we can do as human beings, human dads, right? When it comes to God, we can trust him to let us thrive because not only of his promises, but because of who he is. Hebrews 10, 10 through 20 says that we find that the reality of this is in Jesus Christ who not only offered the final sacrifice for our sin before God, but he was the final sacrifice for our sin. And you can say, well, you know, people say, well, that's sort of narrow-minded. I mean, John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's sort of narrow-minded, isn't it? I mean, aren't there a lot of good ways out there? Aren't there a lot of good thoughts and patterns and ideas and all this? But it misses the point. It is not that God chose a way out of many to redeem us, but that he provided a way for us to himself when there was no other way. And he did it by giving his son for you and me. Friends, I don't know who you are, where you come from, or your background, but you can try to do all that you want on your own. But Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, no, not 
one. Not even the overstrength chaplain at Fort Bragg is righteous. No, not one. What God did so that you and I could thrive starts out with a free gift of grace through His Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. And when you and I trust Him, there is an outcome to that because of who He is. It's found in, guess where? Verse 8. And I know right now we've got about seven minutes. So we're going to go fast and furious through them, but I want you to hear them. Number one, the outcome of trusting God is that He places us where you and I need to be planted. A tree planted by the water that extends its root. I will tell you this, if you trust Christ, if you will trust God for your life thriving, it does not promise you an easy life. Just go back to the book of Daniel. All the things that he overcame, he got to thrive in life were, were at a cost. Don't forget about the lion's den. Don't forget about the city, Jerusalem that was destroyed. Don't forget about him losing his parents, all those things. It is not easy. I will not tell you that it is. But if you and I will trust God, he will put us right where we need to be in order to thrive. The word, the verb there is in the passive. It means that the tree has been planted where it needs to be. The tree did not plant itself at that location. And it says that the tree extends its root. Where? To the stream of water, to the living water. What does that mean for us? It means God's protective love does not plant me and leave me there alone. But with wherever you experience or do, God provides what you and I need. Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's grace. That's wisdom. That's love. That's protection. That's hope. That's forgiveness. That's mercy. All the really important things that you and I need in order to thrive in this life. It's confidence knowing that the God of the universe stands next to us. It's also a picture that God's purposeful will has a plan for us to be right where we are and not any other place in the world. God planted you here, I'm assuming many of you here, at Fort Bragg or in the surrounding area. He's planted you here for a purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mix-up or a keystroke accident by somebody who gave you the wrong RFO or the wrong orders to come to Fort Bragg. You are supposed to be right here. God's purposeful will puts you here. It might mean that you get to know him better by coming to All-American Chapel. It might mean that you're here to make an impact on someone else's life. It might mean that God wants to be seen in your life, whatever you do or wherever you are. The second outcome of trusting is this, and that God's power brings produce from trials produce from trials. You notice here it talks about leaves, okay? In our neighborhood, a tree just fell down. The wind we had last week is right next to one of the houses, uh, right on, on Maynard and on, on Pope. The tree's fallen down, 
and it's still connected to the, to the trunk, but just barely. And I noticed the first day the leaves were green. Fine. No problems. But today, this morning, as Cindy and I left to come here, we looked at the tree, and the leaves are now very much dead. Very much dead. How do you determine if a tree is living or dead? You don't look at the bark, do you? The bark in the tree in our neighborhood looks good still. It's still there. You don't look into how tall it is or how short it is. You don't look at the branches. You look at the leaves. What does Jeremiah tell us here? And he will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. Friends, people are looking at you and me to see if God is alive in our lives. To see if we are connected to the stream of living water. And they're not going to see it by the great bark that you and I can put up. They're not going to see it based upon how, how high we can grow in a military system. They're not going to see it by how many branches that we can produce. They're going to see it by the color of our leaves. They're going to see it because the leaves then are connected to the tree, which is connected to the root, which is connected to the living water. What does Jeremiah go on to say? And it shall not be anxious in a year of drought. How many of you ever get anxious when life doesn't go well? Cindy and I are PCSing. Our house is full of anxiety. Will the movers get it there? Will they break it? Will they destroy it? Will they st- they won't steal it. I know that. That never happens. But will it get to Germany? My motorcycle got rolled up into a, uh, a truck a couple days ago. You'd think that I was having, you'd think we were having our fifth kid. I was pacing in the alley as I saw these guys roll my bike up into the truck. And they're just like, hey, Bob, come on over here. Hold it right here. You do that. And okay, I'll go over there. And I was like, guys, aren't you guys professionals? Haven't you done this before? Don't you realize? And I just had to walk away. Amy Griffin, you were there with Cindy. You were talking. I'd walk over to them, talk a little bit. I'd look over. I'd look away. I'd go back. We're full of anxiety in our house. Say, Lord, it's your motorcycle. But I would like to get it back in Germany in one piece, not too many pieces. But it's yours. Our household goods are his. Everything's his. Our next assignment is his. The past assignment is his. What you have is God's. And he says, if you'll trust me, you can thrive and you will not be anxious in the year of drought. You ever make a garden? I come from the land of farmers, Iowa. You talk about anxiety when it doesn't rain. God says, if you'll trust me when there's a drought in your life, you won't be anxious. And you say, well, that's great, Jack. That's super. I'm really appreciative of that. I feel very encouraged today. Let's end the sermon and go on home. But there's one more phrase, and I'm done. It's this. Nor cease to yield fruit. Think about it for a second, folks. God once, when you and I go through drought and anxiety, when, when things happen to us that, that most people are just nervous about, He wants us not to just have a green leaf, not to just survive it. <clears throat> he wants us to thrive. He wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to thrive. 
2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says, Lord, take the thorn away, take the thorn away, take the thorn away. And Jesus says what? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you so that people can see me in your weakness. Friends, you and I can thrive in this life. We don't need to be on Shark Tank. We don't need to be the next YouTube wonder that people click on. We don't need to be the the next whatever it is you fill in the blank. What you and I need to do is practice. Practice trusting God. Anyone can think they're thriving when they have it all. But God says when we trust Him, we can thrive when we have nothing at all. One person said, if you trust in administration, you will get what administration can do. If you trust in hard work, you will get what hard work can do. If you trust in education, you will get what education can do. If you trust in your sparkling personality, you will get what it can do. If you trust in money, you will get what it can do. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, you will get what the master of the universe can do in and through your life. Gracious God, help us here at All-American Chapel. Wherever we're attached to, if we're just a visitor here or passing through, help us, Lord Jesus, to be thrivers, not just survivors in our Christian walk. May people see us at work tomorrow or school or wherever it is that we go in our neighborhoods. May people see us thriving in our walk with you, trusting you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word, your encouragement to us today. May you multiply in the hearts of the hearers. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.